of all the health effects of vitamin D, I think the mechanistic basis for vitamin D having benefits for immunity is the strongest. The idea is that, you know, you, you're going to be better all around if you can get your immune system into a better place. Um, it may even improve your ability to uh, handle the, the, the vaccines. Welcome to the new HBW Insight over-the-counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. In this new podcast, I'll be talking to industry figures and experts about new trends and issues emerging in the global consumer healthcare market. This week, I'm talking to Martin Hewison, Professor of Molecular Endocrinology at the Institute of Metabolism and Systems Research at the University of Birmingham. Professor Hewison has published over 200 peer-reviewed manuscripts focused on various facets of steroid hormone endocrinology, and he is chair of the Vitamin D Workshop. We'll be chatting about how vitamin D works and its positive effects on immunity, whether there is any evidence vitamin D helps to fight COVID-19, and what industry can do to support researchers like Martin in furthering uh, our knowledge about the benefits of vitamin D supplementation. Hi Martin, how are you? Yeah, not a bad, thanks. And you? All right, yeah, enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, 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 it's good, isn't it? I mean, it's, well, it makes a nice change, so yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> are you uh, back in the university yet, or are you still working from home? Sorts of uh, migrating back. I do about sort of two to three days a week at the university now. Um, I just, yeah, by 1st of September, I'll be back full time, 100%. And I think we're going, we're still going ahead with plans. The likelihood is that we will be doing mostly face to face teaching, but you just, you got to stay resilient. Mm. <laughs> um, so we've got to plan for all eventualities. But the, the idea is that we'll be doing a lot of stuff face to face, quite how that's actually going to be, you know, work out for the students experience. I don't know. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And are uh, you looking forward to, like, you know, being on campus again and not being at home or have you enjoyed working from home? I, I'll be honest, I, I am sort of looking forward to, to getting back onto campus. Um, but I think like most people, I've, I've got into habits by being at home, probably the same for yourself, which something is quite comfortable, you know, um, very convenient. But I find that I do I do get more done when I'm in work. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm actually um, I've set myself a date to go back on full time first September just to give a sort of very firm point at which I've got to do it properly and I think I'll be okay after that to be honest. Um, yeah, sure fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> so thanks for to agreeing to do a podcast. It'll be the first. Uh, it'll be the first one of its kind. We usually just do me and my colleague Tom, and we just look at the stuff that we published, you know, on a given week and then chat through it, but. I don't know, my colleagues are so busy. I just thought, well, and we've been talking about doing it like this for a while. And uh, I just thought, well, I did another piece on vitamin D and it was so popular. So um, it seems like a good topic, still very, you know, still trending or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's still trending. It's it's trending differently. I mean, obviously, since when we last spoke, I think there wasn't, uh, you know, the, the vaccination program was maybe it just started, but it, it was, um, it wasn't full flow as it were. Mm. So it's a slightly different agenda. 
now mm. vitamin D, but nevertheless, I think it is still it's in the public eye anyway. Like a lot, mm. a lot of interest out there from people who um, members of the public, but also I think people working a bit like yourself in industries which are allied health and health industries, where I think there is still a feeling that there is a there's a place for vitamin D. Mm. in planning people's planning for people's health and i think that still holds true mm. um whatever however successful we are with a vaccination program you know. yeah so i think i think i think it's it, yes it's vitamin d is on the agenda but the agenda's changed slightly so yeah everything's changing all the time yeah, indeed. But, so i thought we'd start from the beginning so maybe you can just explain what why vitamin d well how vitamin d works um, you know, particularly in terms of supplements, so we're most interested in food supplements um, and its benefits, and then we can kind of talk about some of the immunity and COVID-related issues after that. So vitamin D, really, I, I, we discussed last time, it's not technically a vitamin, and, and that the main source of your vitamin D will come from the action of sunlight on your skin. And sure, you can get some vitamin D from foodstuffs, but it's not particularly good, certainly in sort of diets we get in the UK. Some countries, they will fortify foods with vitamin D. And that's certainly, I think, something that we can maybe discuss later on. It's a, it's a, a lot of discussion about that at the moment. Um, but whatever the case, whatever the source of vitamin D you have, um, once it gets into your body, it has to undergo a series of metabolic conversions. And then the final active form of vitamin D really isn't a vitamin at all. It's a steroid hormone. So it acts like all the other steroid hormones acting through nuclear receptors and regulating transcription. So it's um, it's a very flexible, a very um, versatile hormone in that regard, in that it's partly dietary, partly environmental, but also part of the endocrine system. And the major actions of vitamin D, which I think most people will be aware of, is that it protects against the bone disease rickets. Um, and that's been recognized, obviously, for many decades. Um, and that effect is, is principally around the ability of vitamin D to help bring calcium in from your diet. So if you have lots of adequate vitamin D, you're bringing more calcium in, therefore that can strengthen your skeleton. And if you don't, conversely, if you're vitamin D deficient when you're a young child, for example, that lack of calcium in your bones leads to the bending of legs that very people are very familiar with. So that, that calcium element is still there today. I think, you know, one of the key points I will always try to get over in these sort of uh, discussions is that vitamin D deficiency rickets is still around today. And in the UK, it's still pretty bad. And many pediatricians will tell you that they see a lot of kids who have vitamin D deficient rickets. Relatively easy to cure there. You give them vitamin D supplements. And really, those supplements are for life, if you're being honest, uh, because people that tend to have vitamin D deficiency rickets are at risk of vitamin D deficiency. And one key point to make here is that um, really underlines an issue we have in the UK and many other countries is that um, uh, in a country like the UK, it's not so easy to make vitamin D because there's less sunlight around. Um, if you have dark coloured skin pigmentation, it's harder to make vitamin D. So this is one of the, the things that I think has been brought to people's attention during the pandemic, during lockdown, is that we're all at risk if we're indoors being vitamin D deficient. But if you have darker skin pigmentation, you're, you're at greater risk. And that was one of the initial links between vitamin D deficiency and increased risk of COVID-19 susceptibility. But it's the same applies 
if you're looking at their vitamin D deficient rickets, it's you know, I think um, it's it's common in um, in communities that have dark skin pigmentation is more common, mm. and I think that's something that really still needs to be addressed in mm. the UK. It's still a problem. So I think that that's the point at which most people tend to be most familiar with vitamin D and the effects of vitamin D deficiency. But what's happened over the last sort of 20 years or so is there's been this um, increased awareness of the fact that vitamin D deficiency may be linked to other um, human health um, issues. Um, so a whole range of, of diseases have been shown to be more severe or you're, you're more likely to be greater risk of getting that disease if you're vitamin D deficient or have low vitamin D levels. So these are called association studies and there are many of them out there and they've linked vitamin D deficiency to everything from autoimmune diseases, type 1 diabetes, infectious diseases like TB, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, adverse events in pregnancy. I could carry on all day. It's, it's a, a long list of disorders that have been linked to vitamin D deficiency. Of course, one of the problems with that is that it is just association. And the big question that's been coming out in the last couple of years is, is it, um, is it simply a consequence of those diseases, vitamin D deficiency, or is vitamin D deficiency a, a driver for those diseases? And um, many people would maintain that it's it's not a causative factor, that, that it's actually um, the diseases themselves affect vitamin D in some way that leads to vitamin D deficiency. The problem with that argument, I think, is that it hasn't really been put forward a good mechanism to explain how that occurs. Hmm. But it's certainly been one that's been put forward a lot during the, the COVID-19 studies and that there are many, I think more than 30 studies so far, association studies have linked low vitamin D levels to increased risk of infection and poor poorer prognosis um, for people who are vitamin D deficient. But the argument is that if you're ill, then somehow that drives vitamin D levels down. And I still haven't seen a good mechanism to explain that, but I can understand how it might occur as vitamin D is a sort of acute phase reactant. Mm. So that's um, so the issue really for vitamin D with that in mind has been that there's always been this real desire then to have these supplementation studies. And that's seen the gold standard, you know, if, if vitamin D is causing these problems, then if I, if I supplement somebody and it goes away, then then you've answered the question. The problem with that is that supplementation studies, although they're very expensive, have often been very badly designed. And I think we had this discussion last time and they're often carried out in North America where <laughs> relatively few people are vitamin D deficient. Mm. Less studies in countries like the UK where quite a lot of people are vitamin D deficient. And then often they're not targeted at the people who are deficient. There's a pretty good evidence now that people who benefit from vitamin D supplementation are people who are deficient. That's common sense, but it's amazing how many trials have been run with people who, by UK standards, would be very replete with vitamin D. That's incredible. Mm. But um, so I think we, we got caught in a little bit of um, this... Uh, impasse as it were with with uh the supplementation studies you know really not delivering what we've we've seen in the association studies but intrigue a point i'd like to make this is sort of something which is i think has has um become more of a an observation since the last time we we, we talked which is i think there are increasing number of these supplementation studies 
the initially reported negative data are starting to report some sort of positivity when they do a post hoc analysis. When they look delve further into subgroups within their study, they see there may be some benefit. So, you know, the studies looking at um, type 2 diabetes over the whole studies population it didn't appear to work the vitamin d supplementation but when they looked at the individuals who are from um, african-american black populations there was quite a there, there was there was improved um, efficacy and likewise with some of the studies looking at vitamin d and common cancers although the vitamin d supplementation didn't appear to affect the overall risk of getting cancers if you did get cancer you actually you your prognosis was better if you've been in the supplementation arm. So there are these little nuances coming in the, to these studies as they go through a time and we get more data comes through. Mm. So I think there's, you know, whilst um, the, uh, I think the jury is still out on a lot of these big health issues like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, type two diabetes and, and vitamin D. Slowly there's a trickle of slightly more positive data coming through. Um, so, can we so let's just go back to uh, I mean that's all really interesting there's a lot to kind of pick pick uh, apart there uh, just go back to the immunity side so I mean um, as we've discussed before this Ian you just said there's uh, it's established that um, not getting enough vitamin C results in you know ne these negative health conditions for example rickets but it seems also that it's reasonably well established that it has a role to play in immunity so if you can't get enough vitamin D, then you have a weaker immune system. Is that correct? I, th I think that's true. And I think it's good that you picked up on the, the immune system as and immune related diseases because of all the health effects of vitamin D, I think the mechanistic basis for vitamin D having benefits for immunity is, is the strongest. You know, there have been many studies, partly through our group, but many others that have looked at the effects of vitamin D on immune cells and how, the, how it's able to modify things so it's a very strong antibacterial agent it has a strong anti-inflammatory effects um, so it has this sort of double whammy effect which is very positive for your immune system and consequently we we picked apart the, the basic mechanisms there so they can be then laid alongside the association study and say well actually yeah there is a logic behind vitamin d affecting immune related disorders so i think this is perhaps the, the, one of the strongest areas of vitamin D in human health is its ability to regulate fundamental aspects of immune function, which obviously if you're vitamin D deficient could then be compromised in some way. So yeah, mm. I think that's. And then and then I suppose one of the arguments is then that, um, you know, if if there is evidence suggesting that and it's and it's not, it has no negative side effects, you may as well basically take vitamin d supplement and or you know maybe say if you know that you're going to struggle to get vitamin d through sunlight or your diet then it makes sense to take a supplement um you know just in case as it were i mean what's what have you got to lose i well that's the attitude i tend to take personally but i'm not necessarily sure, necessarily sure that would apply to the the whole of the country but there's just there's, again there's a logic to that there because the point that you made at the beginning, which was that it, it's yeah, there's no real downside. Well, there would be people who would argue that there are, that if you take over, overdose on vitamin D, then there are downsides. You can develop hypercalcemia, too much calcium coming into your blood, and that's not good. 
I, but I would say that I think in general, be, the uh, reported cases of vitamin D intoxication have been very small. Um, and I think even the UK government would freely admit that if you take up to 4,000 international units per day, which is more than I'm taking at the minute, but it, it, there are no known cases of to intoxication, uh, toxic effects associated with that. Now, I think there are very few, even up to the dose of about 10,000 international units per day. So I think that it's that hand, as it were, that, that argument about vitamin D having some toxicity has, has been overplayed a little. I think there are very few cases of that. So there, there, is, a, there is an argument that, yeah, we should, be, we should be improving vitamin D levels across the whole of the population in countries like the UK. The problem, of course, is that in general, people tend not to take supplements. I think there was a study came out of Scotland recently, which, which where there is a, a very a much more uh, pronounced vitamin D deficiency problem because of the further northern latitude, again, cloudy climate and so on. Um, and there they found that despite strong promotion of vitamin D awareness in Scotland, that there was still a very small proportion of Scottish population were taking vitamin D supplements. So I think as a whole, UK is not good at doing these sort of things. It's not seen as being something that, that one should do. Um, in North America, it's much more common, for example. So I think here, yeah, there has been a greater, um, I think, uh, interest in the idea of having vitamin D supplementation of foodstuffs. So that's um, that's something which I think is is going to develop more over the next few years. The idea that we could supplement flour, for example, or um, in America they obviously supplement milk and orange juice, but not all cultures will use those products so well. But if you have something like flour, which could be used more generally, then yeah, that's another way to deal with the issue. But for the moment, I think we're sort of not stuck, but with the option, the only real option is to do, take supplements. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think in general, you know, there's maybe not to, on a day like today when it's very sunny, you know, where most people, if they do go outside, are likely to get a good dose of vitamin D. But we have to bear in mind that many people still cover up when they go outside. And of course, many people will use sunscreen. And that's another important point I mentioned about some dark skin pigmentation it's harder to make vitamin d if you take if you put sunscreen on it will block the uvb light that's that's needed to make vitamin d so there is another issue there and of course we want people to be aware of uh, melanomas and so on so mm. you're not going to stop people from doing that so mm. supplements keep keep coming back to the same thing which is supplements are really the best year-round option for most people in the uk i think and then so so what you're suggesting about um, perhaps, you know, those habits aren't there to take supplements, even though, you know, what we've seen is a is a is a greater interest in wellness and prevention. So, you know, people are more interested in supplements now because of COVID. And we've seen, you know, huge uh, boosts in in supplement sales, you know, both market wide and also company, you know, in company results. But so it seems like there's there would be a role for government to advise or you know even subsidise or even you know like I mean you know what I'm getting at here is the UK government has um, has made supplements available to certain populations for free. Um, so there's that, but but also we spoke about the fact that you know it seems that they're taking a very conservative um, view of the level of supplementation. So you know you've got the quite a low dose that they're recommending and um, how so how, how do you see all of that 
Well, I was to say, it's probably where it's something of a bone of contention with me, because I do think that we've taken a very conservative line here. I think if you talk to pediatricians um, and many doctors, they would say that the current recommended level is fine if you want to stop children getting rickets. And I think that's that's certainly true. If you um, if you just want to deal with the rickets problem, then probably the 400 international units per day, which Science Advisory Council on Nutrition currently recommend, I, th I think that that would probably be adequate. But in reality, it's, yeah, I think I mentioned to you before, this is often the dose that's used as a placebo in many other trials because it's seen as pretty much a low dose that will achieve very little. Um, and that's, so, so I think the, the argument that myself and several other UK people have tried to put forward is that this is even lower than the lowest North American recommendation of the um, Institute of Med Medicine introduced 10 years ago, where they said, yeah, you should at least be getting 600 international units. Um, so I, th I, I think the, and we know that vitamin D is safe up to 4,000 international mm. units. So I think it, we, we um, based on that, plus a number of uh, studies, particularly there was a very nice meta-analysis by Adrian Martineau and his team at Queen Mary University in London, who have shown that um, they looked at a, a different studies than where, where vitamin D supplementation had been using its, its relationship with risk of colds and influenza. This, this is pre-COVID-19. But there, they, they did get a, they did get a positive effect. It wasn't huge, but they got a positive effect when they were using relatively low dose, the sort of 800 international units to a thousand international units per day um and i i just i think many of us felt although we had no firm evidence i don't know what the optimal dose of vitamin d is mm. to optimize your immune system but it seemed not a problem to simply go up to say 800 or a thousand which is what many of the, the currently um developed capsules are you know mm. thousand what 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 bad is going to come of that very very little the problem with that, of course, is then people then were saying, ah, this is crazy. These guys are asking us to double the level of vitamin D. Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're going from, from, yeah, very little to slightly more, you know. And it, it, I, and that there was no absolute firm evidence that we had for changing vitamin D from, say, 400 to 800. But it seemed like a reasonable compromise. It mm. wasn't particularly high. But like, but like you say, there are countries that have done that anyway. I mean, I, you know, I wrote about Germany recently. They've they've, they've moved to 800. So right, exactly. And I think it's, I think you'll find that in other countries as well. I think um, certainly in Ireland, they've um, they had some they've had a big parliamentary debate about this. Yeah. And actually, they ha they have I think moved forward to a sort of national supplementation campaign. Yeah. We we almost got it in the UK. You know, I mean, um, we had this sort of cross party alliance between. David Davis and Rupert Huck. And I, you know, I thought this is cool. This is really interesting. Let's see what develops from this. But of course, that then that sort of then got overlaid with the, the vaccination campaign. Yeah. So that has actually that's that's brought in another element. And you know, I think there has been some hostility towards vitamin D research once the vaccination program kicked off, because yeah, people say, oh, it's a distraction. Yeah. And people may think that they can do take this and they'll what they don't have to take a vaccine and nobody's ever said that i don't know in the vitamin d field and yet we're you know it has deeply affected i think the the approach to vitamin d i mean i think i think as we move for further further on i think it's coming back in a little bit now because the idea is 
Um, I mean, I, tomorrow I just have to do um, a presentation at the American Society for Nutrition, which will talk about vitamin D and immune health. Mm. And I think that's a that's always been the idea for vitamin mm. D and, and a number of other um, similar um, micronutrients. Vitamin E is falling in the same category and zinc and so on, where the idea is that, you know, you, you can be better all around if you can get your immune place into a better place and your immune system into a better place. Um, it may even improve your ability to uh, handle the, the vaccines, get a better mm. vaccine response. So um, I, I think, unfortunately, those two um, ideas, two concepts, the vaccination one and then the immune health have sort of clashed a bit. Um, but I still think it's very relevant that uh, particularly um, for people who may be at risk of severe vitamin D deficiency, you know, it makes sense to try and address that because, you know, if you somehow slip through the net of the vac vaccine or whatever, then it's good to think that your immune system is working as well as it could do. Yeah, well, I mean, it just seems to make sense to have as many, you know, weapons in the armoury as possible. Exactly. I mean, I used that uh, actually in my presentation. I used the the Swiss cheese model, which I don't know if you've seen Ian Mackay's for the guy, virologist from Australia, who's got these sort of slices of Swiss cheese. They've all got a little hole in them, and the so the the virus can nip through. It's not each one is not perfect. They start off with sort of social distance and then on one side and, and vaccination on the on the other side. But you know, I think we can almost slip something like micronutrients, like vitamin D, in at the very start and say, well. You know, give yourself a good starting point mm. and you never know. So. so, yeah, so there's two, I mean, there's a, there's two other things I think to talk about. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, it seems part of the problem is, you know, the kind of lack of clear information about all of this. I mean, this is part of the, have this problem with the vaccine as well, you know, with vitamin D, when you get these mixed messages, you know, from, on the one hand, you've got the, you've got the nice committee saying, you know, there's no evidence. The government says, you know, well, it won't change its levels, but at the same time, it's giving away free supplements. And then, you know, they're just they're, for, I don't, for the for the consumer, it just must be very difficult to know: should I be taking it? How much should I take? Is it safe? Isn't it safe? When actually, when you talk to experts in the field, it's pretty clear. Like, there's not really any. Uh, there's a, there might be a lack of evidence in terms of you know the the kind of uh tipping point you need to be able to say you know definitely this causes that but there seems to be enough evidence to be able to make a really good argument a very clear argument for supplementation for immunity i, I think you're right i think there is a, a reasonably good argument now for for increasing the, the level of supplementation and, and being more proactive about it in countries like the uk but that that isn't going to change the views of nice seconds um you know public health england they they re they, i think they the problem is they tend to view in this instance vitamin d as a drug that mm -hmm. has to fall into line with all of the other uh drugs and and that's it's just not like that and you know i think in a way that's part of the reason why several groups including the one i'm part of have, have tried to campaign uh, we we hope that we would get some sort of um, response from Public Health England and NICE, but I mean they are very conservative in their approach to vitamin D. But I think that at least there was some recognition that supplementation was required. That there would certainly be some groups that really needed supplementation, which I think is a, okay. That's a minor breakthrough. 
But in, in a way, I think what's tended to happen as a sort of adjunct to that is that, you know, other statements have come out. The general public is just actually, you know, we have to give them some credit for for really absorbing some of the information and being able to make a decision for themselves. So I think more people, it's not as much as we like, I think, but I think there's increased awareness of vitamin D deficiency in, in, in countries. I think in, if you look in places like North America, where there's far more proactive, I mean, it is pretty funny that there, you know, people are, you know, pushing really hard for a sort of single message, 4,000 international units per mm-hmm. day. And, and, you know, I, I sort of joined in some of that. I think it's really interesting that these, you know, the, the researchers who are part of this this initiative, uh, you know, they said, well, we've been too squeamish. You know, we have to be a bit more proactive mm-hmm. in trying to get the, instead of having to defer a lot of the time to public bodies. But of course, I think it's it's somewhere in between that we've got to find the sort of common ground. I think there is uh, great aware, awareness within the population as a whole. People who are interested in their health, certainly, I think, are more willing to accept a uh, the, the idea of taking more vitamin D. I think the the worry really is just that, um, you know, we get, this is an opportunity we have now and it could just slip through our hands again. There's certainly no um, real decrease in uh, things like rickets. I, we always view rickets as being the tip of the vitamin D deficiency iceberg. Mm. So if, if you've got still got substantial numbers of rickets cases, then further down the iceberg is still going to be a lot of people who are going to be have very low levels of vitamin D, you don't have apparent bone disease, but maybe at risk of other aspects of vitamin D deficiency. So that hasn't really gone away. I think, you know, some people are in a better place, but the general population is not. I don't know. Okay, I think some 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 developments will come from, as I mentioned earlier on, the possibility if you can get a successful acceptance of food fortification, I think that will help. Um, but I, I don't know beyond that. I mean, obviously, some of the other things that may influence um, policy um, going forward are some of the more things that have happened in the last few days. I mean, there have been a few studies that have come out, um, mainly out of Spain, it has to be said, using a different form of vitamin D in the context of COVID-19. So this is actually using vitamin D not as a nutritional factor, but as a drug. So, you know, calcifidiol, the 25-hydroxy vitamin D, that's the, the sort of main metabolite of vitamin D in the circulation. Um, that's been successfully used uh, for hospitalized patients in some areas of Spain. And they're reporting, and these are peer-reviewed now, they've published data reporting pretty substantial improvement on patient prognosis. If you get given this, you know, it's fast-acting, if you like, and very effective form of vitamin D. So... That's a different approach, but it may, in a sense, um, at least further sort of strengthen the idea that vitamin mm-hmm. D has a has a has a good immunomodulatory effect. And you could argue that, well, rather than wait till you get to the, you know, the hospital ER room or whatever, then you know, why don't you just try and improve vitamin D levels a bit before? And you never know, you may be, you know, in a better situation. So I think, I think it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen over the next um, few months with as people begin to digest these sort of new studies coming through. There's also pretty soon, I think in the next few months, we should have data coming through from the limited number of 
population studies that have been done on vitamin D supplementation. So this is using good old vitamin D supplementation in a nutritional setting across thousands of people before they get COVID-19. Adrian Martin was running one in in London and different centres in the UK. There are some in North America as well. Uh, They will... I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what the data are going to show there. It's going to be tricky because all those studies have run into the wall of vaccination. So mm-hmm. this, they, they may have started like a month before the vaccination programs, and then. So I, but one one comment that came, I spoke to Adrian Martin about this, and he said, "Well, yeah, you know, the this trial is going to be in a difficult place because everybody was getting vaccinated later on. So we, you know, the, the population he's studying is no longer the same as the one he started with. But he said it will be interesting, hoping that he's going to be able to make some comment on how vitamin D supplementation affects um, success of the, the vaccine. So, you mm. know, that, that would be interesting. I think if there's some benefit to the you know, protection or what, you know, um, T cell responses or something like that. I, you know, I think it's a, uh, there's still a little bit to, more to find out about vitamin D and the immune system. Mm, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it'd be good to um, to catch up with, up with that when it comes out. And, um, I suppose the final question is whether there's anything that the industry can do. So, I mean, our, you know, our listeners at HBW Insight will be the, you know, the companies that, that are producing these vitamin C supplements. I mean, maybe, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that they could be doing some of these very specific studies. Uh, maybe um, I don't know what else. What else would, do you think the industry can do? Okay, I, yeah. So okay. So to echo your 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 comment, I think yes, it would be good. I think if industry could um, help support some studies, I think you know this is one of my major um, frustrations with UK research is that UK um, Medical Research Council BBSRC welcome hardly any of these organisations are funding any vitamin D work at the moment. So we're the vitamin D community is reliant on other sources of, of, of support. And I think that is coming through from, from uh, several manufacturers um, who are willing to step in, certainly provide the um, uh, supplements for use in some of the trials. I know I think with uh, Adrian Martin, he's has some, I can't remember who's actually supporting that trial, but he is getting substantial support from the manufacturers of his supplement. And I've been working with some other teams that are setting up trials and they're also getting good support from industry. So I think we can have no complaints about the fact that the industry is actually pulling their weight, as it were, with, with regard to supporting current trials. I think there, you know, there may be um, some other ways to, you know, maybe have to think a little bit beyond the, the current way in which supplements are delivered. They tend to be in a very standard capsule format. They may not appeal to everybody. I, I mean, there's some companies that are looking at the sort of this sort of gel um mm. th- you know things you put under your, your tongue um to dissolve you know i, I think there I, I i i've got to say industry has been trying hard to mm. to sort of keep up with things and, I, and there's probably increased demand for vitamin d but i think also you know they are trying to engage with uh researchers i think within the vitamin d field so i think in general i think yeah just keep up the good work and help help people in the, the vitamin d field who are still active i know that because i'm editor-in-chief of the, the major vitamin D book, which will come out in 2022. And and there are still a big community out there who are still active, still want to do stuff. And so if there's an opportunity to partner up with a vitamin D researcher, take it, you know. So. That's a nice message, yeah. Keep up the good work. So uh, I think we'll finish on that. 
thanks very much for taking the time again to speak to me and uh, you know go through all of the all of the context and you know explaining how it works and, and the challenges i think that would be really useful good my pleasure and uh, yeah probably speak to you again i think in the future yeah, I'm very happy to. I'm, <laughs> vitamin D field is changing all the time. So I'm sure in six months time, we'll have another set of discussion points. So it'll be interesting. Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. Watch out for new episodes in the future on the HPW Insight website, on our LinkedIn and Twitter pages, and on SoundCloud. See you soon.